Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello everyone, mom, and people who aren't my mom. Today we have another of Aristophanes' comedies, Clouds. According to Ian Story, who wrote the introduction to the translation I'm working from, this is the most famous of Aristophanes' comedies. I'm not so sure. I always think of Lysistrata or Frogs as his most famous plays, but then last night I was tutoring a student who'd asked for help on the Peloponnesian War, and I mentioned Aristophanes, and he responded by asking, he wrote Clouds, right? So maybe this is his most famous play. At any rate, I'm using the Peter Meinick translation that was published in 1998. He probably did the translation about a decade earlier since it was used in a 1990 production in London. This is the same translator I used for Wasps. It's very modern and very accessible. It has great footnotes and endnotes to provide context for some of the jokes that either don't modernize quite as well or need the actual performance to be clearly understood. I highly recommend this book, but as always, feel free to read whatever you have access to. Clouds was first performed in 423 BCE, where it came in third place at Dionysia. I know what you're thinking. Third place, not bad, except there were only three entries. So it was a flop. We don't have that original version anymore. Aristophanes went back and revised it, and that is the version of the play that we have today. As far as we know, this revision was never performed, and we don't know exactly when Aristophanes did the rewrite, or even if it's complete. But we at least know that it was done sometime after the 423 BCE flop. Most of Aristophanes' works that we've read so far have been focused on the Peloponnesian War. This one is equally topical, but it is not about the war. Instead, Aristophanes has turned his pen on the new philosophers, particularly one with whom you may be familiar, Socrates. Unless you first met him in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, in which case you've heard his name is both Socrates and Socrates. The play follows one Strepsiades, an Athenian farmer, and his son Phaedipides. Strepsiades has a few servants, including one named Xanthius, and yes, that is a commonly used name for servants in old comedy. Socrates himself is a character, as is his compatriot um, Chariphon. There are allegorical characters representing two different schools, and their names are translated in a variety of ways. Meinick uses superior argument and inferior argument, but I've also seen right and wrong, just and unjust, or better and worse, all translations you might want to keep in mind when considering what this play might be trying to tell us. Towards the end, we meet two of Strepsiades' creditors, and of course there is a homogenous chorus, this time comprised of clouds. Yes, actual clouds, or at least a personification of the clouds. That's the background. When we get back, we'll go over the plot. As a reminder, before we start, the parts of an old comedy are prologue, parados, agon, parabasis, episode, and exodus. See if you notice anything different in this play. The prologue begins with Strepsiades and Phaedipides asleep. Strepsiades tosses and turns and finally sits up to explain that he's having a hard time sleeping because he is in debt. If only he hadn't fallen in love with a rich aristocrat, and if only he hadn't actually married her, and if only they hadn't had a son who was spoiled by this wife. 
but he has come up with a plan. The building next door is where Socrates has set up his school, which Minick calls the Pondratorium, but is also sometimes translated as the Thinkery or the Think Tank. I can't decide if I like Pondratorium or Think Tank better, but I'll probably use the former since that's what's in the text I'm working from. Strepsiades is quite taken with the fact that at the Pondratorium, students can learn how to win any court case, such as one in which someone hasn't paid their debts, by using the inferior argument. He has determined that Phaedipides should join the Pondratorium, learn the inferior argument, and then win the case his father's creditors will undoubtedly bring against him. He wakes Phaedipides up and tells him this. Phaedipides is completely uninterested. He only cares about horses, chariot races, and lavish living, and he refuses to comply with his father's wishes. Strepsiades is still determined, and since Phaedipides won't go to the Pondratorium, he will go himself. The scene shifts to outside the Pondratorium. Strepsiades meets a student who tells him all about what Socrates has been studying. The great philosopher himself then floats on stage. Literally, he's suspended over the stage because he wants to look down on the sun. Now, you probably have an image of Socrates as a shabby, bearded man, and that's pretty accurate. Honestly, in real life, he struck an image that was ripe for ridicule. He was perfectly suited to be in a comedy. Strepsiades begs Socrates to let him join the Pondertorium, swearing by the gods that he'll pay whatever tuition is required. This leads to a discussion of religion and whether or not those gods were real, ending with Socrates explaining that they might as well worship the clouds, which Strepsiades takes to mean that the only true gods are the clouds, unless we get to the Parados, the entrance of the chorus of the clouds. Socrates tries to teach Strepsiades, and the scene is a series of puns and tongue-twisting, with Strepsiades becoming increasingly confused, much to the frustration of Socrates. But Socrates does ultimately admit Strepsiades to enter the school, and the two of them yet exit, leaving the chorus alone. And being alone, the chorus takes this opportunity to berate the audience and the judges for their lack of appreciation. This is how we know this is a version written after the original flop, because how on earth could they have given this brilliant play by this brilliant playwright third place? The chorus thought that Athenians were intelligent people, but to give this amazing play third, I'd say they don't even know where to start, but they continue on this theme for almost the entire parabasis, only taking a right turn at the end when they point out the lunar calendar isn't keeping track of time as well as it should, and the citizens of Athens should do something about that. Yeah, parabasises, parabasi, are weird and random. Socrates and Strepsiades enter. Socrates is even more frustrated than he was when we last saw him. Strepsiades is a terrible student, and Socrates is ready to give up on him. Strepsiades asks the clouds for help, and they tell him that he should get his son to go to school instead, like he hadn't already thought of that himself. But he exits and shortly returns with um, Phaedipides in tow. Strepsiades tries to explain all of the wondrous things he has learned at the Pondertorium, and ultimately convinces Phaedipides to join the school. And Phaedipides will not be taught by Socrates. Oh no, he will learn from the superior and inferior arguments themselves. These allegorical characters enter, and we have finally reached the Agon. They argue, which makes sense, given that they are arguments. They take turns swapping jabs, and the inferior argument ultimately wins. 
Pheidippides goes off to learn the inferior argument from the inferior argument itself, and Strepsiades goes home. And the chorus is again left alone on stage. And what do they do? They explain why this play should win first prize. Because it is brilliant, so just give it the first prize it clearly deserves. During this mini-parabasis, time has passed, and it is now the end of the month, when the bills are due. Strepsiades fetches Pheidippides from the Pondertorium in hopes that Pheidippides can use his newfound mastery of the inferior argument to talk his way out of his debts. Instead, Strepsiades finds himself trying to argue with his creditors, and the scene becomes increasingly confused as Strepsiades jumbles together all of the things that Socrates taught him before the first parabasis. It doesn't have the desired effect. His creditors leave, headed off to court to sue him for non-payment of his loans, and Strepsiades goes inside. He returns quickly, crying that his son has beaten him. Pheidippides uses the inferior argument to justify his actions. Basically, if a father can beat his child for his own good, a son can beat his father for his own good. Strepsiades is appalled by what his son's education has wrought, and he calls for the slave Xanthius to bring a torch. Together, Strepsiades and Xanthius climb to the roof of the Pondertorium and set it on fire. Socrates, Chariphon, and all of their students escape and are chased off stage by Strepsiades. The chorus sings the briefest of exoduses, and the play ends. And when I say the exodus is brief, it is two lines stating that the play has ended. And that's The Clouds. What do you think? We'll take a quick break and go over the key points and themes. This play is definitely different than the comedies we've read so far. Perhaps it is the fact that it is not so focused on the Peloponnesian War is a reason that it remains one of Aristophanes' more popular comedies today. But before we get too far into the subject matter, I want to talk about the structure. Did you notice that this play isn't in the standard order? We still have all of the basic parts, but the agon, which normally comes in the first half of the play, doesn't come until after the parabasis in this play. So the order in this play is Prologue, Parados, Parabasis, Agon, Episode, Exodus. Again, we are seeing Aristophanes start to break with form as old comedy slowly evolves into new comedy. Now onto the themes, or I suppose theme because there really is only one primary theme in this play. The theme that arches over the entire play is the conflict between the old and the new. We see this in the relationship between Strepsiades and Pheidippides, and we see it in the difference between the superior and inferior arguments. The superior is old education, the inferior is new education. Aristophanes, despite all of his body humor, was very conservative. Socrates the man, not the character, caricature we see in this play, represented everything that Aristophanes was against. And who did Socrates appeal to? the youth. After all, that's why he was ultimately brought to trial, for corrupting the youth. Now, if you are studying philosophy, and we'll get to the philosophers eventually here on the podcast, it is important to remember that the Socrates in this play is a caricature. In Clouds, he is the embodiment of sophistry, and the real Socrates was anything but a sophist. But as I noted earlier, everyone knew what he looked like, so he, he was an easy stand-in for all philosophers in ancient Athens. What are your thoughts? Is this a new play to you or one with which you are familiar? Come over to the blog and share your thoughts on this and the other lesser themes. The link, as always, is in the show notes. 
On Wednesday, we'll tackle the next book of the Iliad. Next Monday, we'll start reading the tragedies of Sophocles with Ajax. And this week, I'm adding Fridays. What? I know. Yes, that means three options each week to read a little more. And yes, I'm crazy. But I suspect most of you are like my mother and are listening and not reading along, which is totally cool. I'm happy to have you along for the ride. Anyway, what this means is that there will be plays on Mondays, epics on Wednesdays, and of course I'm calling mythology on Fridays. So this Friday we'll meet Hesiod and discuss his works and days. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.